0: and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Let the knowledge flow.
1: Ask Mapped episode 125. Here we are again back for live weekly questions and answers with some of the mapped and Medical School Headquarters expert advisors. They're waving to you from their tiny little boxes. <laughs> Friends, this used to be called Ask the Dean, mm-hmm. now it's called Ask Mapped. Now we're kind of going back to our Medical School Headquarters umbrella, so we might name it again. Mm-hmm. If you have an idea of what we should call this lovely free advising hour, please feel free to type it in the chat or send us an email, we are looking for ideas. Um, In the meantime, I'll do some introductions. If you don't know me, I'm Rachel Grubbs. Oops, I'm not on banners. Let someone else do that. Um, (laughs) I am the map co-founder along with Dr. Ryan Gray, who is earning uh, a much-deserved vacation right now. Um, I've had 20 years of experience in MCAT and pre-med process advising, so uh, I'm old. I know lots, um, and you know the thing about pre-med expertise is it's kind of like sports. Uh, you're not an expert unless you keep learning. So I love to keep keeping my eye on, eye on things and then continuing to share those expertise nuggets with you. Next up, we have Dr. Scott Wright. Uh, so Dr. Wright is the former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Med School. Uh, he's also retired executive director from TMD, SAS, yep. I said it correctly. Yes, Otherwise known as the Texas Med and Dent Application Service. Yep, yep. Um, how are you today, Dr. Wright?
2: Doing well, doing well. Excited to get to answer all these questions from all these fantastic students. Me too. I love this part of my week. Yep.
1: And Verinia Granham, uh, Master's of Education, former Assistant Dean in the Pre Health and STEM Advising at Hofstra University. You've been advising students in general for gosh I think close to 20 years Mm -hmm. and pre-meds and pre-health in specific for about 10 years now. Mm -hmm. We're so excited you're on our team. It's been
3: what a year and a half now? Yes I I love being here. Thank you. How are you today? I'm doing great just like like you both looking forward to talking to students or answering questions. Um, This is a Kind of stressful time of year, right? (laughs) Considering now we're heading into that sort of gray zone of I haven't heard anything, what's Mm -hmm. going on?
1: Mm
2: -hmm.
3: Yeah, so let's talk about that. We've got a few questions already,
1: but I know more will be coming in soon. So let's let's start with one I know everybody is thinking about. Um, If I am a student who applied this cycle, so I applied sometime hopefully May, June, but maybe July, August, September, October, And I'm hoping to start med school in summer, fall, 2023. So that's the position I'm in. My apps are in. My secondaries are in. But maybe I don't have any interviews yet. Or I have interviews but no acceptances. At what point do I decide that I need to reapply?
3: What do you think, Bernia? That is the question. So we generally recommend right around thanksgiving right if you haven't heard anything by thanksgiving end of november around there that is a good time to start thinking okay i'm gonna try to stay optimistic but let me right prepare hope for the best prepare for the worst Mm -hmm. um and start thinking about what do i need to potentially address look at my application again start looking at everything with a fine tooth comb see if there's some areas that you yourself can identify. Maybe this was it, or maybe I needed this, or maybe I didn't do enough of this. Um, But again, still staying optimistic because it is still early, so to speak, right? You still have, you can get an, an interview all the way up until May of next year. Of twenty twenty three. So mm-hmm. but by trying to prepare for now, you give yourself enough time to say, you know, maybe it's the MCAT and I have to think about retaking it. Um, you know, just starting early enough so that you're not caught, you know, in April, let's say, trying to figure things out when you haven't heard by then.
1: Perfect. Yeah, I agree. And so, Dr. Wright, maybe expand on that. What are some things that if someone thinks they might have to reapply, what should they be looking for in their application as a potential weakness they could improve?
2: Well, obviously, they would want to look at the numbers. uh, uh, You know, you want to critically analyze your GPA trends, uh, things like that, as well as your MCAT score, not just the total score, but also the individual subsection scores. Uh, Look at those as uh, you know c- very critically and, and try to understand where you've applied and what, uh, what relevance uh, those numbers have to the, the, the uh, median numbers for the schools that you've applied to. And you know, if you're you know, kind of just where you stand uh, w- with regard to the numbers, but then also I think you, you have to sort of reflect on other elements of the application. Uh, The uh, your activities. Do you have clinical hours? Do you have how many clinical hours uh, do you have? How have you talked about those clinical hours, both in your uh, in your personal statement, but also in the activity descriptions and the most meaningful essay that you wrote uh, with regard to 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 what you chose on those Uh, and the secondary app. So it's 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 you know you can put all of what I just said in within the context of reflection. You have to sort of reflect on what's gone on. What does all this look like? And that's where I think it can sometimes be helpful to, to do that with someone who like our staff here at MAP at medical school headquarters. If you, if you want to schedule a time for us to do a, to do a, you know, uh, an application review and, and say, where, where are the weaknesses here? I'm not hearing anything, you know, uh, kind of help me identify where are the things that I need to, you can do that with your pre-med advisor. Some medical schools, probably not in the midst of the process, but some medical schools will do that toward the end of the process in late September, uh, not late September, late spring. Uh, we'll will do that uh, with you. Uh, some medical schools will a lot, won't uh, do that, but it just depends. Uh, so reflection, getting some, some, Uh, knowledgeable advice about where, where the uh, weaknesses are.
1: Yep. Great. All right. What questions do we have? DeWa says, is working as a a youth program organizer in a religious center good experience for extracurriculars? I mean, sure. Why not? Um, I definitely don't want to say no to this. What I do want to qualify my yes with is, A good experience is what you make of it. There's almost no activity that someone can share with me and just say the name and let me know if it's a good experience. Because it's a good experience if it's meaningful to you, if it has an impact on you, if you make an impact on the experience itself, on, on the center or on the youths in the program. So I really don't know Dua until I hear you talk about it or I read the essay that you're going to write about it. But as a way of you sort of assessing now, right? One way you can kind of test yourself for this is when you leave that center, when you're done doing your youth program work for the day, is your head buzzing, right? Are you thinking this went really well, it was such a high, or did something happen that was kind of heartbreaking that's hard for you to get over? And if that's the case, that's usually a sign that there's impact happening. And what I would strongly encourage you to do is keep a journal. Um, You can keep a journal in Mapped App. We have a free activity tracker, but it doesn't have to be in Mapped It can be in a paper notebook. It can be in a spreadsheet, wherever you want to track it. But don't just be writing down, you know, Wednesday, November 9th four hours, right? Do that, but then also write, today this happened. And don't worry about the essays yet because those are far away. Just write some notes to remind yourself of what's buzzing around in your brain. And then that way when it comes time to write the essays, you're going to be able to tell which ones are good or not based on the notes you left yourself for, oh my gosh, I have a lot of stories to share here. This really has an impact on who I am as a person. Um, So yeah, it sounds good, but only you can
3: decide. Yep. And can I just quickly add to that that I think this question, um, they might be thinking about whether or not this experience is something that medical schools would be interested in since it's not necessarily a clinical experience mm-hmm. or a patient care experience. And absolutely, if it's something that you enjoy, do it. I have a student I'm currently working with who one of his most meaningful activities has been helping out in cleaning um trails and maintaining trails in a national park and he wrote about it in in, in a way that really show why this was impactful and meaningful for him it had nothing to do with you know medicine necessarily but he was passionate about it so go for it and as right. rachel said if it's something you enjoy definitely
1: right do it. Mm-hmm. personal statement is why medicine but activities mm-hmm. essays are tell me about you so they're going to have some med and some non-med Morgan asks, I am looking to take upper division bioclasses for the opportunity to boost science GPA. I'm wondering what upper division bioclasses you would recommend to help with MCAT prep, anatomy, uh, physiology, et cetera. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a good question, Morgan. And I would say it, it kind of varies. I mean, the thing that's most important for the MCAT, I would say, I mean, It all matters, right? But the single most important subject I would argue is biochemistry. And you don't even necessarily need multiple semesters. Some people take a year, but that single first semester of biochemistry, those fundamentals, you need to know them forwards and backwards because biochem can actually show up in three of the four sections of the MCAT, right? It's obviously gonna be in bio biochem, but the section that we often refer to as chem phys is actually chemical and physical foundations of biological systems. There's biochem in there. And then sometimes biochem shows up in the psych because of the neuroscience. So know your biochem, know it forwards and backwards. Uh, After that, I personally don't think that there's much upper level bio that's gonna make a huge impact on your MCAT. You know, some people say, make sure you've done molecular bio. Um, it certainly can't hurt. But I think at that point, when you're thinking about upper level, to di- upper division classes, you're more thinking about, like you said, to boost your GPA and also to boost your readiness for med school. Because yes. med, and I'm seeing Scott chime in, yes. so I'll let him kind of add on to this. But what I at that point, because the NPAP mostly is lower level science, by which I mean, like, Lower level college science. Um, but med school is going to be almost exclusively upper level bio. So the more foundation you get, the easier it's going to be for you when you get to that super speedy curriculum where, you know, in college we do biochem in 15 weeks and in med school you do it in two weeks. So it's a little bit faster. <laughs> uh, Dr. Wright, what else did you have to say on that?
2: Yeah, I was just going to say that uh, the um the AAMC uh, every year um, surveys incoming uh, medical students as well as outgoing medical students, students mm. that are graduating. The graduation questionnaire, among other things, uh, asks a question, what undergraduate classes did you have that really helped prepare you and were valuable for you in, uh, in your medical school curriculum? And there are several classes that are are really pointed out in that. Uh, I would say anatomy is a, a big one. Uh, microbiology and immunology, those are, are three that uh, that really get mentioned a lot on that survey. So uh, to, to the point, not uh, in terms of preparation for the MCAT, but in terms of preparation for what, you, what will come in medical school, I think those three, in addition to biochemistry that you mentioned, Rachel, but those three, micro, anatomy, and... Uh, and immunology are are ones that are often mentioned.
1: Great, yeah, and then I guess I'll say, Morgan, if you're really looking specifically for MCAT prep, then what I might ask you to consider doing is consider your critical reading and critical thinking skills and ask yourself, do I need to take one more really rigorous English course? Do I need to take philosophy? Because a lot of people forget that the MCAT The WMC themselves backs up what I'm saying here. The MCAT is about half content and the other half is your ability to read passages, to analyze, to do scientific inquiry, to look at tables and charts. So, um, you know, pre-meds, and this may or may not apply to you, Morgan, but many pre-meds that I know tend to see humanities as like blow off or easy courses. And that always makes me nervous because many pre-meds, it's not about talent, it's about ability, And like, it's about skill and many pre-meds have really worked hard on their science and math skills to the detriment of their critical reading and problem solving skills. So if if you're really literally thinking about, I wanna boost my MCAT score, my question is how strong of a reader are you? And are you ready to do some really, really rigorous uh, both science and non-science reading for the MCAT? Okay, Jan says, why do I not have more interviews? Parentheses only one from an MD school. I consider myself a very competitive applicant. Research clinical three point nine seven GPA five sixteen MCAT applied early. I just don't understand,
3: mm-hmm. sigh. Yeah.
1: So Jan, we talked about this a little bit at the beginning. I saw your question come in while we were talking about it, so I'm, I'm guessing that you heard some of our chat about kind of just general time of year things to consider. Um, uh, What I wanna first say is you have one interview. That's awesome. A lot of people don't have one yet. So that's something. And I think even if you're feeling stressed, I hope you're taking a moment to be proud of that one interview. That's a high compliment. Um, The other thing I would say is uh, you listed a whole bunch of scores and activities here, but what I didn't hear anything about is I worked really hard on my essays and I made sure that they weren't trite and I wasn't trying to just tell the admissions committees what they wanted to hear and I made sure that they read like a breath of fresh air that sound just like I talk and not like some fancy stilted computer and maybe you're assuming that I know you did all those things but often when someone cites to me all their numbers but then they're not having a lot of interviews my thought is were your essays compelling Um, It's okay that they're common. Most pre-meds have a lot in common, Um, but did they, did they sound like you? Vreeni or Scott, anything else to chime in here?
2: Um, I would just say that, um, you know, I think that one thing that you did not include here, you said research and clinical. You did not say anything about community involvement Mm in any medical, medical schools this Th- these days are really looking for a connection to community. And this would be volunteerism outside of clinical uh, uh, or, or research. This would be connection with your community in such a way. And that can be a variety of things. And And so that is an element here that you didn't mention. And, and you may have all that stuff, but uh, I know there are a lot of medical schools that really want to see that. And if they don't see that, it's a little bit of a red flag to them.
3: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Brunia, any, anything else? No, I, I was just thinking, you know, the intangibles, right? What you were saying yeah. before about how did you present yourself in your application? Um, when did you do these activities? Did you pack everything in in one year? Or, did, you know, has there been consistency across the board in what you've been doing that shows medical schools that, you know, you've taught, <coughs> thought through this process and um, it wasn't something you just kind of approached you know, from a checkbox uh, perspective. So Mm -hmm. it's all about the- Or like a
1: school essay, because it's not a school essay. So you might be great at reading school essays and that has nothing to do with your ability to write a personal statement. Exactly, exactly. All right, Tiffany. I took my MCAT in 2020 and got a 519. Pause to say, woo! (laughs) (laughs) Due to two unsuccessful cycles, I might have to retake it due to expiry. Oh, are you from Canada or overseas? Because we tend to say expiration, but I know what you mean. Um, would it be a red flag if I didn't score as high? Eh, I'm gonna say no to red flag unless like, I don't know, you get like in the 490s or something, in which case, yeah, I would really I would really worry about what that 519 meant, right? But if you took an MCAT every day for a week after your 519, you might get anywhere from a 510 to a 525 on any of the given exams the days after because not every MCAT is the same. They vary in terms of content coverage. You'd vary in how you feel that day. And that's just the way standardized tests work. That's why so many standardized tests talk about ranges of scores, you know, where they'll say like, here's the like kind of plus minus because that's just the way testing works. So definitely, you know, don't, Um, I was going to say, don't take it lightly, but you won't. I mean, no one takes them. Well, not no one, almost no one takes damn cut lightly. Do your best. But if your best comes in at a 514, I would not sweat it. I wouldn't think, oh no, now I have to take again. Um, If it comes in at a 505, maybe you'd want to retake it only because you know you can do better. Um, But I wouldn't call it a red flag unless like there's some really egregious score drop. Uh, um, Mame, I think, hopefully I'm saying your name correctly. Hi, is it possible to enroll in US-based schools for pre-med if you already have a bachelor's degree from your home country? Will it be considered a second bachelor's? Uh, Scott, you wanna take this one?
2: Uh, Sure. Um, So international students have a very complicated sort of situation. And uh, it is, uh, and and not just international students. There are some uh, U.S. students who go outside of the U.S. to, to do their uh, their undergraduate experience and stuff. So, um, so what I would say, yes, you can. It would be considered a second bachelor's degree. Yes. Yes. In a short short answer to that question, um, what what I would do if I were you is go to your local, um, to the university that you're considering going to and uh, to the admissions office and get them to uh, tell you their process of how they look at your foreign degree coursework, how they integrate that into what they uh, have, uh, if you're gonna get credit for that, if you're gonna get you know, any credits, if they lump them all together as, as credit or if they single each course out, Uh, That will is going to dictate what you're going to have to do at the university in order to uh, uh, to not only apply, but what you're going to be required to do to get a a second bachelor's degree. So, yes, um, uh, it is possible to do that. It's just going to depend on the institution in terms of uh, how they will integrate that in and and also what they what they will do with uh, with the individual courses. Uh, But, you know, I do think that. you will want to, uh, to do that in order to be applicable to uh, 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 American medical schools.
1: Great. Thank you. What's next? Brandolyn. Uh, how should I move forward after a rough start with a trend of several withdrawals for medical reasons? I have three semesters left. Verunia, I feel like this is a question <laughs> for you. Sure. You have a history not only of helping people get into med school, but you've done a lot of academic advising. Mm-hmm. So you've seen this happen. You've seen leaves of absences. You've seen yeah. people who had to drop and restart. What do you recommend
3: for this person? Well, Brandilyn, just one foot in front of the other. You've had some some struggles for a variety of reasons that's not going to define you. Um, if anything, it probably made you a little stronger. Um, but just put one foot in front of the other. Start with a course load that you know you can manage. Um, if it's just one science, I don't know, you said you have three semesters left. I don't know how many prereqs you've taken. But if, you, if it's just one science and the rest are your... Graduation requirements start with that. It'll take a little longer, but that's okay. the The goal is to to try to now establish an upward trend in your grades. Um, we don't have a lot of information in terms of your other grades. If it's just you know one semester of withdrawals, but you have a solid GPA otherwise you know, it, we need more information there, but assuming that it's just been kind of rough and in, uh, in general, um, start slow, start slow full time, but then slowly maybe next semester, add more courses, maybe catch up over the summer sessions as well mm-hmm. um, and know that this doesn't define you. These, these withdrawals not, will not on their own keep you out of medical school. It's what you do from here on out um, and continue that upward trend that will make a difference. Good luck. Mm-hmm. Good question,
1: Brandalyn. And yes. thanks for being brave and sharing. No yeah. shame in it, it happens. That's uh, right. Yeah, we have someone that we work with who actually presented at one of our Mapped cons back when it was still called National Pre-Med Day, um, who is now a resident at the Cleveland Clinic. Mm-hmm. And she has shared her story publicly, so I feel comfortable saying this. Uh, she dropped out of school three times over a decade before she finally figured out her life enough to really do school right. So, I mean, you know, at one point her GPA was like 1.8, it was just littered with W's and D's and F's. And yeah, she had a long hard path, right? She had to take a lot of credits to prove that she was a different student, but she did it and she was getting clinical the whole time. So she knew she wanted to be a doctor because that was the favorite part of her life. She got into a med school and then she matched at the Cleveland Clinic. Right? So, I mean, I know that's just one story, but you are more than your stats. Your story is going to matter. So just keep pushing yeah, and keep doing clinical because it will remind you why you want to do this. Garrett, does my clinical experience need to be diversified? Garrett, my friend, I don't think I can answer this because I have no idea what your clinical experience is now. Um, do you want to talk briefly about what a good clinical experience looks like?
3: Sure. Um, so clinical experience, when we think of clinical experience, we think of it as any opportunity where you are, um, involved in, actively involved in the care of another human being, whether that be actual taking vitals or, um, you know, in a medical setting or, you know, helping them feed them, bathe. Um, you know, get medication for them, whatever it is. You're actively caring and impacting someone's health and well-being. That's considered patient care experience. We don't have much more information, Garrett, uh, regarding what you're doing right now. Um, So we can't really say if it needs to be diversified. Um, I think patient care is patient care, no matter how and when you're doing it. Um, But yeah, we would need to probably know a little bit more. Mm
2: Mm-hmm. I agree.
1: Mm-hmm. Got another question. Uh I'm gonna guess this is Emile or maybe Amelie. Emily. Emily. Maybe Emily, Emily mm-hmm. I would love to know how to say your name, but uh, I'm gonna move forward with your <laughs> with your lovely name, whatever it is. Can grade trends make up for a poor GPA? I'm a non-trad and I graduated with a 2.0 GPA. In a post-bacc program, I have a 4.0 with 100 plus quarter credits. Is it so realistic to consider an MD school? Yeah, I love this question. Um, I don't know about makeup for, right? It's more like show that you're a different student today than you used to be. And when we talk about upward trends, we often talk about, well, how many credits do you need to prove that you're... Um, a different student today than you used to be. And we usually talk about that in semester credits. So sometimes you'll hear us say, you know, at least 20, at least 30. Some schools even want 40. But that's semester credits, you've got 100 plus quarter credits, which works out to roughly Mm -hmm. like 65, 67 Mm -hmm. semester credits. So it sounds to me if you had 2.0, but now you have 4.0 for what is like almost two thirds of a new degree, that sounds to me like, as long as those courses are upper level sciences, right? If it's a master's of public health, if it's um, you know something in the humanities or social sciences, then maybe you've just proven that you're good at some subjects, but not others. But if the bulk of those credits are rigorous upper level biology or pre-med requisites, then you're probably one of those people that I could call having had a successful upper trend and I think we put up a banner for Mapped up earlier. Maybe uh, Veronica can find it and show it again. Anytime you, um, any of you pre-meds have questions like this, you can ask them here, but you can also go create a free Mapped account. Um, and we, Mapped is always free, but we have a pro level that we give you a free trial to when you start. And the pro level includes messaging with us. And it's it's often, it's we who are here on camera, it's often veronica or Courtney, but it's me, it's Scott, it's Ryan, it's all of us. And you can enter all your courses and actually let us look at your trend and then say, hey, I would love to get a little bit of feedback on my GPA trend. Do you think that based on my grades, I'm ready to apply? And obviously it's more than grades, but I understand you're just asking about that segment. It's the most common question we get in the mapped messaging. Would you agree, Vernia? is, hey, would you look at my GPA trend? Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. we're used to it. We're happy to do mm-hmm. it. And it can take a really long time to do if someone just emails us transcripts. But if you mm-hmm. go to the trouble of filling out Mapped App, Mapped App is doing all the math and all the charting for us. So it's very easy for us to take a quick look and give you feedback. And we're very happy to do that for anyone who has a Mapped account. Um, so I think you're in good shape. And if you want more reassurance with more detail, go ask in Mapped. Okay yay because it sounds like you were yeah hard. oh
2: yeah and, and I, I would make one last comment on this uh, i would change the wording emily it, it said you said at the last the, on your question is it still realistic to consider md school mm-hmm. i would say is it still realistic to consider medical school md yeah. or do you know good really point. focus on you want to go to medical school mm-hmm. uh, and and that may be what you meant but i just want to clarify that
1: yeah good point mm-hmm. we are big believers Uh, MD, NDO, both get you where you want to go, both get you into competitive specialties. Yep. Um, Consider all your options. All right, Kowal, can I, oh, well, Scott, you'll be coming back on camera in a second. Could I please (laughs) ask Dr. Wright, does UT Southwestern accept update letter? What kind of updates are worth mentioning, higher level classes, publications, continuous clinicals? I am going to pass this to Dr. Wright. I want to remind you guys that Dr. Wright was the Director of Admissions at UT Southwestern a number of years ago, and every med school reserves the right to change all of their policies and all their wants every single year. So anytime we're sharing expertise with you, we are sharing patterns we've seen over time that is not a guarantee of what they want this year, so you always always need to go check the school's website to see what they say. But Scott, I do know you have a lot of wisdom to share about update letters. So let's let you chime in there.
2: Great. So, uh, koala what I would say is, number one, I, I don't readily know right offhand what UT Southwestern will do currently in terms of the update letters. Um, you would just need to check with uh, with their uh, admissions office and see what what they'll accept and what they won't. Uh, what, what are worth? Um, updating if if a school accepts an update letter, uh, I would say you don't want to you don't want to mention things that are co- are continuous. In other words, I'm continuing to do X. I'm continuing to do Y. Whatever, uh, that is not really an update. Anything new uh, is worth updating. Uh, you have a new publication. You have a new activity that you've started. Uh, maybe you graduate, maybe you graduated, maybe you took additional classes and you got the grades and they were all spectacular or whatever. Uh, n- those are things, uh, the key to update letters is short and sweet, get to the point, bullet point, the, the activities that you want to update them on. And, uh, and, uh, then, and then say, that's it. Thank you. And, and you're done. Uh, you, you, if at all possible, you don't want them to have to scroll uh at all or too much uh if they have to scroll uh in the email then it's not going to it's not going to be good that's it
3: that's a great tip if they have to scroll it's too long yep <laughs>
1: Uh, I was chiming in and I was on mute. Yeah, 100% agree. If you have to scroll, it's too long. That also goes for sending us messages. Like that's Ryan's rule of thumb. He does still try to answer DMs, but if you make him scroll, he's not answering it. So I I think a lot of people think, but I have to give you all this context. No, it's your job to whittle it down so that context is embedded into part of one sentence. Yeah. Right. Like if they, especially with an update later, if they want more, they'll go look at your application.
2: Yep, indeed. (laughs)
1: All right, what's next? Bob G. Uh, Bob G says, is there any way to review letters of recommendation? If I have to apply again, I want to know whether I can rely on the writer's use. Ooh, tricky one. So Bob, when you request a letter of recommendation, um, what most of the services do, whether you're going directly through the applications or through like a third party like Interfolio or coming soon, mapped app, my LOR. Uh, Heard it up first. Right now because our letter of rec portfolio is coming really soon. <laughs> um, uh, usually when you request it, you have to give away your rights for confidentiality at that time. Now a lot of med schools will say we only accept letters that you've made confidential. Every once in a while you're going to find a grad program or a med school that doesn't care if it's not confidential. Um, now, sometimes the professor says, you know what, you marked it confidential, I'm still sending you a copy and like that's between you and them. But the truth is once you've waived your rights, then you, you don't have the right to see it. Um, I, so I wanted to answer you technically because you were asking a technical question. What I think this starts to get at is, how do I know if I'm gonna get a le- good letter? And I think there's a lot of conversation to be had here um, so even though it's not what you asked, I think it's probably the question behind your question. Um, so let's dig into that a little bit, Virginia. What what can they? What can students do to feel confident in their letter of rec, like the quality of the letter of recommendation?
3: Absolutely. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that the person that you are requesting the letter from is someone that can speak to you, you as a candidate, and can strongly say this person, you know, has these competencies and these abilities and performed well in my class. And, you know, they know you well. Um, You know, we can't tell based on this question whether the letter writers you used were individuals that knew you very, very well. And the way you do that is by establishing a relationship, hopefully early on, um, if you're still in school early on in the class, let's say, so that They can get to know you as you're progressing through their course and you're going to their office hours and you're coming in with questions and you're showing interest in what they're doing and really getting to know them so that they can get to know you. Um, Or if it's someone at a volunteer site that, you know, making sure that it's someone that um, you've connected with and they don't just see you once a month or something like that. So really getting to know the person that you're going to request this letter from is the first step. (laughs) Right. Making sure that they know you well enough to speak to your qualities as a candidate. Yeah, that's it. Completely agree.
1: Yeah, I guess what I would chime in here, and this is like always my pro tip for earlier pre-meds. So those of yeah. you who are first year, second year, or you're just starting your career change or just getting back to, you know, do your non-traditional path. The best time to build a letter of rec recommendation uh, relationship is when you're in the class with them. So a lot of people think, oh, letters of rec, I'll worry about that when I apply. No, worry about it freshman year. Worry about it sophomore year. So you're taking Gen Chem, you love the professor, it turns out she also teaches biochem. Make friends with her, make sure you take her biochem, not someone else's, right? And and you can tell her, you don't, you shouldn't ask for the letter of rec three years before med school, right? Letters of rec should usually be dated the year you apply. But you can say, hey, I'm pre-med, and I'm really hoping to form um, you know, a, a relationship with you so that in a few years you feel comfortable writing me a letter of rec. Would that be okay? Can I stay in touch after this course is over? Um, and do the things you need to do to impress them in the course. Um, as someone who has taught a lot, I'm here to tell you, I know who's making eye contact with me and who is not. And after a while, I'm not teaching to the people who are tuning me out, right? I'm teaching to the people who are engaged with me. So just showing up and nodding, even if you're not in the front row, not everyone's a front row sitter. If you're engaged with me, I see you. If you show up to my office hours, I remember you. So do those things, right? Build the relationship. A lot of people say like, oh, it feels awkward. Well, it's really awkward if you ignored your professor all semester and then later try to get a letter out of them, you know? like. Show some interest in their research. Show some interest in the work they're doing for the lesson plans they're teaching you. It will go a long way. Yep. Yep. Damon wants to know, as someone with epilepsy, VNS therapy, will my medical school application be rejected for my epilepsy personal statement? Okay. Uh, Scott, I'm going to have you chat chat a little here. Mm-hmm. Um, what I want to do, Damon, is help you understand the difference between I have um, a diagnosis that might impact my med school experience versus what's in my personal statement. Absolutely. I think it might be two different questions here. Yes. Um, but, Scott, I'll let you start this because I know you have some experience with this kind of history.
2: Yeah. So there's several things here, uh, Damon, that I want to really uh, talk about. One is that my assumption is that when you say epilepsy personal statement, that the fact that you have epilepsy is a very important part of your story of why you want to go into medicine. Uh, It is uh, integrally connected with your connection to your spark of what interests you in medicine originally and kind of how that's played out. So if that assumption is correct, then it makes a lot of sense to talk about your, um, you know, your journey and, and where that comes from and, and epilepsy being a part of that. Um, medical schools um, cannot uh, discriminate on the basis of uh, disability. And uh, one might consider this uh, as a disability. Uh, so I, I would say that, you um, you would not be rejected in and of itself because of that. Now, related to this is something called the um, what what we used to call in the old days, the essential functions, or uh, I forget the term they use now. Mm -hmm. Um, But it is basically these are the things that you have to be able to do in medical school in order to enroll and technical standards is, uh, is also what it's called. And, uh, and, and this would be things like you have to be able to stand up for a certain amount of time. You have to be able to do X, Y, and Z physically, and you have to be able to do X, Y, and Z uh, mentally, uh, et cetera. And so, uh, if, if your, um, diagnosis and your, your, the, the epilepsy is controlled uh, by virtue of medication or, or whatever, then uh, then you won't have seemingly a problem with the with the uh, technical standards. If, however, because of your epilepsy, you would need some accommodation, uh, uh, then you would request that after you are uh, accepted into the medical program. They would have there's a process by which you would. Uh, request accommodations because of uh, whatever and uh, but in this case uh, epilepsy if that's applicable so that's kind of the way the process works but to your immediate question no I do not think that you would be rejected uh, solely because of that as a, as a part of your application I just do I just think that in the in the personal statement you have to be a little bit careful about how you talk about it and I would say don't make the whole personal statement about your Epilepsy, you know, you that can be something that you talk about with regard to why your initial interest uh, was about medicine, et cetera. But, you know, you quickly want to move on into uh, events that have really solidified, that have really nothing to do with uh, epilepsy, uh, et cetera. So I hope that's helpful.
1: Yeah, Damon just chimed in. Uh, think. Oops, <laughs> my bad, Veronica. Sometimes I forget that I'm not supposed to be doing the production work, and I just start clicking. Uh, Damon just chimed in to say, "P.S. Uh, I wanted to know if there would be a bias, but thank you, everyone. I feel much better."
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. No, well, no by bias, law, Damon, no.
1: there can't be a bias, right? right? And that's why you don't even have to disclose it until you've been accepted. Now, if you put it in your personal statement, that's your choice to disclose it early. Right. Um, but the, the point that uh, Scott is making about the personal statement is an important one. I wish that I had finished the landing page. We have a free personal statement storytelling uh, workshop one week from today. I have the, the sign up page half-baked. I wish I'd gotten it done before today. Make sure you're on um, our email lists, um, either for MAP or MSHQ, and we'll send out a link to everyone who's on our email list to sign up for it. But um, a week from today, we will be talking at, at night, so not, not during Map, but at 9 p.m. on Wednesday the 16th, we'll be talking in depth about storytelling. So that'll be a session that Dr. Gray leads that talks about how you can compel med schools with your story regardless of your stats. And one of the key elements of that is the personal statement should be personal, but it shouldn't be 100% about you. So it is very common for someone to talk about in their personal statement, being ill themselves or having a loved one who's ill. Because for so many of us, that's our start into healthcare is, it's just experience. And because when you're a kid, where else are you gonna experience a healthcare issue if not in yourself or your family, right? That's just where it happens. But they also, the med schools also want to see that you've experienced healthcare with strangers, right? Because most of us love our grandmas and not everybody loves taking care of someone else's grandma. Um, so, so that's sort of what we're getting at and what we're saying, just be mindful of your, of your, um, of your personal statement that it shouldn't just be solely about the epilepsy because you, you need to prove that you can take care of other patients. Um, and yeah, just be sure you're on our email list. Keep an eye on our website. We'll make sure that you guys can get signed up for that workshop. That's a week from today on November 16th. Thanks for the banner, Veronica. (laughs) (laughs) Kathy Birch! Oh, Kathy Birch! We know you well. Okay, I have years of experience as a diabetes educator. I have letter of rec from the medical directors of three different hospitals in three different states. I have seven MCAT scores, woo, from 472 to 505. I have an overall GPA of 3.4 with four degrees, science GPA of 2.9 with over 200 credits. Uh, Caribbean schools have immediately accepted me year after year, but I cannot get any U S schools to accept me. Do I just do? Caribbean?
2: Wow, that's a lot.
1: It's a lot. I'm honestly not sure that we can answer this in this session because I think there's probably a bunch of follow-up questions we'd need answered. Um, your GPA, like you said, isn't really going to budge at this point. Um, You said you have experience as a diabetes educator. I don't know if that's gonna count as clinical or not. Um, You have letters of rec from medical directors of hospitals, which you've worked in. Okay, so you, presumably some of that was clinical, right? So that's my one question. is like, how much clinical do you have? And then the other thing we haven't talked about, Kathy, is your essays, right? All those intangibles we've talked about several times tonight. Um, I don't don't know what your intangibles are. Um, Typically, as a rough rule of thumb, I say only do Caribbean if you've really given us your best effort. I can tell you've given us a lot of effort. I don't know if you've um, if it's been your best foot forward. And I think you've done some work with us in the past. I, sometimes I remember names and faces, and I don't remember where them from. I can't remember if you were in academy for a little while this year, and then maybe decided to take a pause. Um, but but yeah, that would just be my question: Is did did we ever have a time where you had the best stats you could, the best experiences you could, and an application that went in, you know, June fifth? Like, did you put all those pieces together in one cycle? And I, I just don't know if that applied to you or not. And that's that's I think the question I would ask before I give up on us and do Caribbean. Yeah,
2: and we don't we also don't know by virtue of this uh, of your statement here, Kathy. How many times have you applied to U.S. schools? Mm-hmm. Uh, what U.S. schools have you applied to? Did you apply to MD and DO? Uh, mm-hmm. You know what? What does that look like? If you applied numerous times to uh, uh, U.S. schools and gotten really n- nothing, then uh, you know, I, I agree completely with uh, with Rachel that you know this needs to be some d- deeper digging into this. And so, I'd really strongly suggest a a session with us to kind of really discuss this and kind of in, in a more deep way. But based on what you've said here, if you've applied numerous times to us schools uh, then, then I would, I would say Caribbean might, might be the, the way to go. But yeah. I, I agree that I think that we need some more digging here. Yeah. Good luck. Mm-hmm.
1: All right, Monique Hicks says, "Hi. During the gap year, I'm unsure if I should do a postback or a one-year masters. How do you know if you should do a postback?" All right, Scott, I feel like this is this is you got a spiel ready-made for postback <laughs> <and laughs> masters, so I'm I'm, I'm sure uh, I'm going to just let you turn on the speech.
2: <laughs> well, I, I guess uh, first, Monique, what I would say is uh, I, I'd want to know a little bit more about why you think you need either one of them. Do you have a GPA issue? What, what, what's your trend look like? Uh, You know, what, what are the numbers uh, as they stand right now uh, to, as to why, you know, you're uh, thinking in this direction? Uh, I would say, you know, I, I think uh, honestly that a undergraduate post-bac program is, uh, is going to be very worthwhile uh i think that uh, medical schools very much know how to interpret undergraduate coursework um and uh, uh so upper level biological sciences at a uh, at a um four year institution uh, university uh, i think you know you, you can't go wrong with that especially if you do well in the classes which ostensibly you would want to do extremely well uh, that, that's not to say there's anything wrong with uh with uh, master's degree, post-bac programs, um, like, uh, special master's programs, but, uh, uh, I, they are, um, often extremely expensive. And, uh, so I think that's the, there's a financial part of the picture there that you really have to consider, uh, uh also. And, um, so, you know, there's a lot, uh, to think about, but, uh, I would say uh, I would say you you won't go wrong with a post an uh, uh, undergraduate post postback program,
1: right? Yeah, and Scott touched on this, but just to reiterate, uh, we see a lot of students mistakenly think that postback or masters is the thing to do to fix the mm-hmm. app. But if your grades are solid it could be something else it could be your mcat it could be your lack of clinical it could be your essays it might be that all your essays were great but it took you 10 weeks to turn your secondaries around instead of two weeks which is the recommendation so just before you throw money at this make sure it's not something else Mm -hmm. all right it's uh eight minutes to the hour we still have time for one or two Two depending on how long they are Mm Kyle says, what are things to focus on during an unexpected gap year? I realized I won't be able to apply until after my final semester. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a little bit of what we were just saying now. Mm-hmm. It, it might be grades, but it might be MCAT prep or it might be clinical. Um, you can't ever go wrong with getting more clinical mm-hmm. because if you're going to be a physician, your whole life is going to be clinical. So I definitely think that if you... Even if you have a lot of clinical now that you're taking an extra year, you need to make sure to keep doing clinical. Um, it doesn't have to be a full time gig, you know. Maybe, um, maybe you need to save money, so you want to serve nights and do clinical in the morning, so that you can, you know, make big money in tips and then still get some healthcare experience. Um, keep doing a little bit of shadowing, um, but exactly what to focus on—it's really analyze your application looks at strengths and weaknesses and then what you focus focus on or whatever the weaknesses are and again if you're not sure we can help um, but but there's not a cut and dry answer for this because it depends on you Kyle mm-hmm. yep, mm-hmm. yep. Jean St. Pierre, I don't know if I said that right. I'm volunteering with an NP by a church weekly. We provide needles to addicts, homeless, Narcan, safe injection kit, safe sex kit, wounds care education. Would that be patient care experience? Yes.
2: Sounds like it to me.
1: And thank you. Cause man, that's, that's hard and important work. So thanks yeah. for doing it. Um, I've read a lot about addiction in the last few years and I'm blown away at how many studies show that if we just treat people who are struggling with a little bit of humanity, that they can often resolve their addictions on their own just by being treated. Mm-hmm. Like they're not evil for having this illness. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. So yep.
3: thank you for what you're doing. And again, patient care experience, caring for the health of another human being. You are caring for the health of another human being by doing this, even yeah. setting, if you're not the doctor.
2: And the setting doesn't matter.
3: The setting doesn't matter. It right. yep. yep.
1: can be a church, can be out on the streets. Mm-hmm. Nursing home,
2: yeah, whatever. Mm-hmm.
1: Yep. Yeah. Great questions. Yeah. Warms my little heart. (laughs) (laughs) i like feeling kind of cheery. I'm like, thanks for doing that. (laughs) All right, Victoria K. for a general MCAT study guide is one month content review, two months of going through seven practice tests in Anki, and two months for AAMC review, a good breakdown of time. Uh, yeah, I mean that sounds fine. Yeah. Um, you guys, I think. No, I mentioned at the beginning. I've been doing MCAT prep a long time. I was doing test prep before I got into advising. I actually got into advising because I would get frustrated meeting people at the MCAT moment and then learning things where I'm like, "Man, I wish I met you two years ago, so I could have helped you do this better." So then I realized, "Oh, that's what I should start doing." <laughs> uh, hence, Ryan and I made MapUp. Um, there is no one right test prep plan. Here's what you said about yours that I like. I'm hearing five months, which is usually a very reasonable amount of time, especially if it's part-time, which I think you put in a second note was. So that's smart, right? You're not trying to do a part-time prep in two months, which is, for most people, not going to go well. So I'm really excited that you are being strategic about how long you need. And I'm excited to see that you understand that content is just the foundation and that it's really the practice questions and the drilling and the reviewing that matter. Um, if you want more help, an excellent resource is the Blueprint Free Study Planner. So, you know, Blueprint MCAT has lots of paid options, but they work a lot like we work. They also try to give free stuff free stuff to everybody and then paid for those who have the means. So if, if nothing else, I would say, um, go, go look at their study plan because they'll ask you a series of questions And it's like down to like what days do I have to black out how many hours per week but also like you know weaknesses strengths and then they'll give you a recommended study plan and you know you can follow it or not you can you can accept it and then make manual changes it's really flexible um I used to be with blueprint as some of you may know and I was there as we were we we've had the study plan even back to the next step days, but I was there with blueprint as we were evolving it and making it even better. And it's just one of the best, most robust study planner tools available out there. Um, So, you know, the fact that they give it away for free, I think is just phenomenal. So I would definitely check that out if you're looking for more guidance, Victoria. AJ Philly, if I do not get into med school my first cycle, do you think being a teacher for the gap year is a suitable thing to do? Or should I just add on clinical? We kind of talked about this already. It's similar to some of the other questions, Mm -hmm. Veronica. Nope, you're not Veronica. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) do you wanna chime in?
3: Sure. you know, we always encourage students to, if you're going into medicine, you want to try to get out and get as much experience around patients teaching. You know, if, if you're interested in teaching, I guess you could potentially do that. Um, If it's a means to, if it's an, you know, a source of income for you, but you still want to stay connected to patients in some way. So um, it's it's not that it's a bad thing to do. Medical schools are just going to probably wonder why you're teaching and not working with patients. But um, as long as you provide Kind of context and show why this was meaningful for you. Um, that's fine, but again, just try to still stay around patients, uh, even if it's volunteering on the weekends or something like that.
1: Yeah, agreed. Yeah. All right, it's one fifty-eight, so maybe we need to cut off there, uh, friends. As always, we rarely get to all of you, so we we love to have you here. It's only an hour, so sometimes if it's a slow day, every question gets answered. But feel free to keep coming back. Um, This is always every Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern. Um, Most Fridays at 11 a.m., not this Friday because Dr. Gray is on vacation, but every Wednesday at 1 p.m., except for like the last week of the year when we're on break. And then most Fridays over on Instagram. So lots of chances to get free help with us. And then also, um, yeah, we've got big stuff coming up in terms of workshops. We've got some special Thanksgiving promos coming up. Mm -hmm. So make sure you're on our email list. Make sure you're staying in touch so you're getting all the news from us. Yeah. See you next
3: week.
0: Bye. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.